Hello everybody and welcome back to Fight for Film TV, giving you all the hottest topics in boxing and entertainment today. Sorry I'm a little bit starry. Um, so today is a much different episode of the boxing sector, as you know. Um, we're approaching fight night and we have Dillian White versus Alexander Povetkin at Matchroom Fight Camp. Underneath we have the Pretty highly anticipated rematch for the Women's Undisputed Lightweight Championship with Katie Taylor putting it on the line in a rematch against Delphine Persoon, which was one of the closest fights that could go either way. There's a lot of debate whether or not they'll win, but we've got some cool fights on that card as well. We have Alan Babich taking on Shondell Winters. We have Jack Cullen, and I can't remember who he's against. I don't know these two blokes, sorry. And we have... Chris Congo versus oh bloody hell I I need I really need to learn these but okay we're here mainly to talk about the two fight cards um unfortunately I haven't I'm not joined by my co-host Matthew today um he's had a very busy schedule recently and haven't been able to get hold of him today so I guess we'll just let him sleep off his busy week and well I guess you've just got me today it'll be a shorter one because I don't have my co-host with me but Hopefully this is a good enough for a prediction for you guys because you deserve something ready for fight night tomorrow um, on Sky Sports box office or DAZN if you're in the US. Um, you it's worth twenty pounds on Sky Sky box office. Um, I'm at the mercy of the place I'm staying in terms of where the Wi-Fi is and everything. So let's just cross our fingers and hope everything goes well. If not, I'll be coming off all social media until the fight is uploaded onto their YouTube page and I can watch it there. Because Dillian White is one of my, my one of my best boxers in the books for me, personally, along with Anthony Joshua of the current generation. Alright, let's hop straight into it. So um I can't really remember much what's going on, but just giving you a bit of a background, um so the matchroom fight camp that we've mentioned very briefly over these last couple of episodes it's it's quite it, the Eddie Hearn is he's done a madness I have to admit because um, I know what a lot of people say about Eddie Hearn his money bags and his eyes and all of these different things but I have to admit in terms of what he's managed to accomplish it's it's cracking stuff he, we've given some very got me oh, bloody hell sorry about this guys I'm stuttering because I'm a bit busy today as well I don't have my co-host but you know we'll go in as best we can so I apologize. This is going to happen quite a lot. <laughs> but, okay, back to what I was saying. So, uh, Eddie Hearn has made some names which I wouldn't say have had the biggest focus on them. have now got the world watching them because of the way that they have been executed. Because very unprecedented times. Well, we're in the coronavirus pandemic. The whole world's in this. Some countries are doing better than others. Like, we've got an honest sort of system to try and crush it. And we're just not doing too well to prevent the um, virus from spreading in some areas. Um, but, I mean, in, I feel for you guys in the US, my listeners in the US, if we have any, um, because you've basically got a child running your country. So I feel very sorry for you guys, but cross our fingers and I do pray that it gets better for you. But we have to do fights behind closed doors as part of the coronavirus pandemic, and Eddie Hearn does his 
from his back garden, believe it or not, Matchroom HQ in Brentwood. So what they've done is they have put the fighters in the in a Holiday Inn right close to Matchroom HQ. Which is very different to say that maybe next year, well we've got to hope next year, that sounds realistic, that when for life is restored and freedom is granted to every person again. Like, we no one will ever take freedom for granted again after this, but once that's all happened and we're all back, they'll be able to say, well, I've stayed in the same hotel as heavyweights or other fighters from Matchroom. So that's something you can tell all your friends if you go to that hotel. But, okay, so that, that's been kind of hired out for all the guys, um, except for Dillian White. Now, watching the press conferences um, beforehand when it was scheduled to be at Manchester Arena on the 2nd of May. But, yeah, obviously all that went sideways, but Alexander Povetkin has been shacked up at the hotel, but Dillian White has got himself a motorhome, or a Winnebago, whatever you call it, meant for, it's kind of like the same stuff you'd see Sly Stallone staying in on set on different locations, like these crazy luxurious like camper vans. And I have to admit, I'd never thought I'd see Dillian White in a camper van, but there you go. Um, because Hearn seems to think that he will lash out at Team Povetkin. I don't think that was a case. We know Dillian White is a little bit fiery in the build-up to most of his fights, but... That's because a lot of his opponents are talkers as well. And when you throw a talker in with a talker, you just get an argument. That's just going to happen. And, well, take a perfect example, Dillian White, Derek Chisora. That's a cracking example. But Alexander Povetkin, it's not just the fact that he doesn't speak English, he needs a translator. But at the same time, I honestly believe there's enough mutual respect between all of these guys that... I wouldn't, they would never have been a firework, but regardless, it's always the idea that you're going to be sitting next to or be sharing an area with your opponent at some point or another, you're going to run into them. That's what Katie Taylor did with Delphine Persoon a couple of times in there. So, yeah, it, it makes sense. But regardless, they, they're going to be the title card with Katie Taylor, Delphine Persoon underneath them as the co-feature bout. Um, but we've got we've got quite a few names on there. Now, one that's interesting to hear for me is Alan Babich versus Shondell Winters. Now, Shondell Winters, he's never been a big focus. People in his country will know who, who he is, where he's come from. But personally, I never even knew who the guy was. Um, I think what made him a little bit more of a focus, he's still not like elite level heavyweight that everyone knows who he is but I'd say the what made him become more you know more out there towards the public is his fight with Joseph Parker now he didn't put up anything against Joseph Parker mind you but Joseph Parker is one of the elite heavyweights of this division he hasn't been able to climb his way up the rankings granted but He's had only two losses. He was WBO champion, and he looked unstoppable until Anthony Joshua took his title off of him in a clever punch display in which the ref was just... He was just out of order, really. Like, he just... Every time they would come close, he'd split them up. They didn't even get up close to each other. They couldn't throw anything. So it had to be a case of whose reach was longer, which I felt like put Anthony Joshua at a bit of an unfair advantage. 
But he secured the dub. I felt sorry for Joseph Parker in that fight because of what the referee did. But there you go. Lost his title and moved on. One loss, and his only other loss was a very, very, very close fight against Dillian White, in which Dillian White got a decision for winning the majority of the fight. I have to admit, I thought Parker might have knocked out Dillian towards the last part of that, because he was all over the place, and he fell over out of exhaustion um, on the 12th round. Survived, survived to the final bell, and, well, he came with the dub, so he lost to Dillian White. Um, it was a very close fight, and I think I would love to see a rematch for that, but going back to the point, that was how Shondell Winters got his name. Now, it's a bit strange, really, that Shondell Winters was the pick for this. But Alan Babbage, um, as well as Fabio Wardley, are two protégés that Dillian White is taking under his wing. Training, I don't know if he's a main trainer, but at least, at the very least, he's part-time trainer. He's, like, sparring in his footage, helping them spar and partners and things like that. They've been training together in Portugal, these guys. And, well, Alan Babbage... He's, I don't know, he reminds me of Dillian White in his early days, personally, which is a good start. Because Dillian had a whack, and he still does. But that's how it, that's how it's looking like it's going. And Shondell Winters, he can whack a bit, but he has to be in the right mood for it. And Shondell Winters didn't put up any defence against Joseph Parker. Now, I don't know if that's because it was one of the bigger fights of his career. And he got, the, got a bit nervy, thinking he's got to win this and everything. But... I don't know really what it was, but I feel like in this fight, Shondell Winters is going to be more aggressive. And that's mainly because I don't think he's going to have all the added pressure of having to beat someone who was a former world champion and whatever and get that on his record and he's on a big stage, everyone's watching him. I don't think he's going to have that same pressure, especially without a crowd. So it's going to seem more like a sparring session. And with um, I think that was the only real salty kind of tension that they had for week four the only one and that was the last one they added to the bill so god knows what happened in there but um i'd say sean bell winters is going to be more aggressive in the fight he's going to force alan babich to fight a bit because alan babich seems to be more of a counter puncher from what i've seen he's won every single one of his fights but he's only had a few professional fights he's really like he's quite fresh into his professional career so personally i think he's going to force alan babich to fight but if Shondell Winters gets careless and he lets his defence down, I'd say that can win by knockout to Alan Babich. But we, it can go either way. It's heavyweight boxing and it can completely depends upon the Shondell Winters we get the evening. Now, I won't talk about um, Cullen because I can't remember the guy he's fighting, unfortunately. But, I mean... I'd say all of the fights on this bill are going to be close fights. And that is just the whole reasoning behind it. They're all going to be close fights. Um, Congo. Clay. Oh, that's it. Clay versus Congo. Now, that is going to be an interesting fight. Because besides having a bit of power, I believe truly that... Hmm. How can I best put this, actually? They're more hand speed. It's what you would expect. What can I compare it to? Ruiz Joshua. There's an example. Joshua has the punch combinations and he has hand speed. Right. But hand speed isn't his dominant trait, Anthony Joshua. That's Anthony Joshua's dominant trait is his boxing IQ. 
in terms of inputting shots together. Now, Andy Ruiz Jr., his trade going into the fight was hand speed. He didn't have the same boxing IQ as Anthony Joshua, and in that instance, he would always lose. But he came in into the ring. Joshua has trained an excessive fight camp to fight Jarrell Miller, the dirty drug cheat, of which was caught out for drugs, obviously. And obviously replacement Andy Ruiz Jr. at two to three weeks' notice. And Joshua, I don't feel like he had enough time, and he expected, because they were similar builds, these guys, he expected Andy Ruiz to fight similar to Jarrell Miller. He was counting on it, because that he didn't have enough time to change his style. And unfortunately, it didn't really work for him. Joshua planned for Miller. He came in with his game plan for Miller. And Ruiz Jr. had a different style, and his hand speed was enough. He didn't have... I mean, he had power, granted, but... Ruiz Jr. didn't have crazy power, and compared to Joshua, no power. But if you overwhelm them with the hand speed, all of that power, no matter how slight it is, it will all add up, and that's what weighed Joshua down. Now, I feel like it's going to be quite similar with Clay versus Congo, because both guys, very fast punches, and I would say neither of them have got knockout strength. They have knockouts on their records, granted, they do. And it can happen, because any amount of power can put any guy down if it was in the right place. But I believe the fight will be more of a, I'd say, tentative first two round, first two rounds. As soon as you get into it and the one of the guys has felt like they've found their rhythm and they get more confident, they'll force the other to fight. And it will be a very fast hand speed fight. And I feel like whoever's got the most stamina will win this fight. Of which, currently thinking, at the moment, hmm, it's hard. I might edge towards Congo, possibly. Because he's had, he's had experience with the guys he's fought of that similar style of fighter. Whilst I know Clay has as well, I don't think he might have had been exposed to it as much. But it can go either way. So... I say that's going to be a decision, to go either way, but I, I either see that as a majority draw or a points win, narrow points win to Congo. But alright, so moving on to the co-feature battle. This is going to be a very short podcast without the help of my co-host, but regardless, I hope that you enjoy it anyway. We have the highly, and I mean highly anticipated rematch between Katie Taylor and Delphine Persoon. Now, Delphine Persoon, I think that was the final unification fight Katie Taylor needed to become undisputed lightweight women's champion. And that was for the WBC lightweight title. And I'll be completely honest, for a majority of the fight, I saw Katie Taylor losing it. Because she did very well, don't get me wrong, Katie Taylor is a very ferocious women's fighter. But Delphine Persoon seemed to be very persistent. And whilst Katie Taylor was the more precise puncher, I feel like Delphine Persoon had the more stamina. And that stamina seemed to edge the fight slightly. But in the end, I did have it as a majority draw, as Katie Taylor came back. But could have gone either way, so whichever one it would have gone to would have been a deserving victor for that fight. 
But Delphine Pursue did believe she did enough to win it. Of course she did. Because you saw the, she stormed out of the ring afterwards. They fought on the undercard. I think it was the co-feature to the first Ruiz-Joshua fight. And, well, it, it went the way people thought it would. And there was a lot of people thinking Katie Taylor had lost that fight. But she's still undefeated. And she's undisputed. That says a lot about Katie Taylor. To get to undisputed without one or two losses. Anthony Joshua hasn't managed to do it. If he will do it. Dillian White wouldn't have managed to do it. The only heavyweight currently that has the potential to be able to do it from what we're looking at currently is Tyson Fury. But I do strongly believe at his career at some point, Tyson is going to grab a couple of losses on his record. It's going to happen. That kind of style of fighter that is talk, 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 talking his mouth off and getting complacent, one day is going to catch him on the chin. I do believe that. So whenever that time comes, we don't know. But honest, whenever that time comes, but he, Tyson Fury has got to hope that he's, knock, he's kind of like knock, lock, knockout losses or decision losses, whatever he's going to have, don't come before he becomes undisputed. That's what he's got to hope. But at the moment... I feel like we've got three heavyweights in the running. I know everyone will be thinking, what about Deontay Wilder? Deontay Wilder, I'll be honest, he's met his match in Tyson Fury. I can't see a way he wins because, and I said this when we were in the build-up to Wilder Fury too, and I said this to everyone I knew, basically, that was interested. I said, you can't fight Tyson Fury the same way twice, no matter what fighter you are. If he wins, loses, draws, you cannot fight Tyson Fury the same way twice. Because if there's two fights, he gains whatever knowledge he needs from the first fight and applies that to the second because most fighters talk the same. So, well, that's, exact, that's how it goes, really. And, well... Yeah, sorry, a bit of background noise, guys, but it's a bit windy out here. Yeah, so, looking at it, I personally, I feel like whoever it's going to be, whether it's going to be Joshua, White, or whoever is going to fight, I do not believe Deontay Wilder is going to be able to do it. He fought hard and fast in the first fight, Wilder, got him down in the 12th, but he didn't have, considering he's one of the, well, he's hardest hitter in the division at the moment. I don't know if he was of all time. That's a statement to debate on. Regardless, it's questionable. But while there's always a threat, don't get me wrong, but I feel like Tyson's got enough IQ now to know how Wilder fights, to know what to look for, to see the right hand coming and dodge it. And if he can't land the right hand, Wilder hasn't got the same boxing IQ. So I don't think he's going to be able to do that. But yeah, that's the end game there. Now, I, I, sometimes I forget what even the point I'm on. But anyway, back to Katie Taylor. I'll, I'll go back onto it more in depth when we come to the title card. But to be able to be undisputed and to do it without with an undefeated record, very hard. And you just look at all the greats, right? Lennox Lewis, he didn't become undisputed with um, as undefeated, he had lost to Oliver McCall before he fought Evander Holyfield, twice with the second fight to crown him undisputed. He didn't get there without taking a loss. He lost to Oliver McCall. Um, Evander Holyfield, 
I believe he did. Um, but at the same time, that's a questionable statement because of all the way the welts were and all the time with Don King and all of that was confusing. Mike Tyson did, okay? That's one that you can say. But you look at most of the greats. Ali didn't. Um, and it's just the way these things go. So for Katie Taylor to be able to unify all the belts of her division, meaning I don't care if people are going to say lesser regarded or whatever it was, because at the end of the day, yes, it is lesser regarded, but I still class it as a belt, so I'm going to say it anyway. She has the IBO, the IBF, WBA, WBO, and WBC, right? To get all of them, you have to fight some tough contenders, because to win a world title, you have to be a tough cookie. And Katie Taylor, in a relatively short career, has fought all of these tough, tough cookies. She doesn't seem frightened whatsoever, which is brilliant for a fighter to have. And she has already reached the top. She hasn't reached 20 fights yet. And she's undisputed lightweight women's champion. That tells you something. So just looking at it from there. Delphine Pursoon, she was a very worthy fighter to be holding before Katie Taylor took it off of her. The WBC lightweight women's championship. So to have that, granted, she has it. She lost it to Katie Taylor, but she did very well. And looking at it like that, she could, she has more than enough potential to be able to pull this off. But personally, if I'm looking at it from all perspective, Katie Taylor knows why she slipped up in that fight. Now, I believe she needs to work on stamina in the gym, and she needs to work on feints and mind games. But she's got everything else she needs already. As long as she perfects it, you know, she keeps her skills sharp. She's got most of the toolkit. She just needs to add a couple of more pieces to it. Um, but looking at it, considering how the first fight went, Delphine Persoon is desperate to prove herself that she won that first fight. She will be looking to take Katie Taylor out. And it depends what she brings to the ring. If she wants to be clever about it, she's got more of a chance. If she's she goes straight in to try and prove everyone wrong and she's that desperate, I think she might slip up, personally, because it shows when fighters do it. It does. So, we have kind of like a crossroads here. I'm calling either a majority draw or a points victory to Katie Taylor, because Katie Taylor seems cool, collective. She seems to know what she has to work on. And everyone knows that she was doubted that she was what she won that first fight or not. So to have that in the back of her mind thinking, people didn't think I won that, it's going to spur her on, but she's going to be very clever to want to have to prove herself. So I believe we are looking at a draw or a Katie Taylor victory to defend. And after that, there'll be no question because that's how it goes. Unless she wants to do a trilogy with Pursoon, which if the second fight goes well, why not? Right, so we're coming on to the one that's probably going to spend the longest talking about. Still going to be a relatively short podcast, I'm afraid, though, guys. And that is Dillian White versus Alexander Povetkin for the WBC Interim and Diamond Heavyweight Championship. Now, you, you guys know my views. The WBC and the W... I think it's WBO as well. Or, actually, no, I think it's WBA. I don't know how it works, but all of these interim, silver, bronze, diamond, all these belts are useless, and I don't know why the WBC and these boxing corporations make them. I don't know. But 
it's to the point where they have, so I guess it adds a little spark to the fight, but at the same time, they don't mean nothing. They should have one strict world championship. That should be how it goes. And if you don't have that, then how is it going to work? So, I don't know, Dillian White has been very, very unfairly treated. Very unfairly. He should have fought Deontay Wilder quite a number of times. He's been over a thousand days. That's over three years waiting for a shot at the title, the WBC heavyweight title. Deontay Wilder knew that Dillian White would take him out, and I knew Dillian White would be able to take him out. And that was given, and I feel like Wilder knew that. So he avoided that style of fighter for all of his life. He avoided Dillian White's style. He never fought anyone with the style. Besides maybe Luis Ortiz, but Luis Ortiz has nothing to do with age. That's one thing I believe. Everyone's saying, oh, he's old, it's not a really good fight. Anyone can whack, and anyone can be the same fighter they were if they want to do it. So I don't believe age is a factor at all. I feel like with Ortiz, he didn't really train. Ortiz didn't really know what was going on. And against someone like Deontay Wilder, fell for very basic tricks. Dillian White's boxing IQ is very different, and guys with that style tend to be. So I believe they would have whacked out Deontay Wilder. So if if this whole issue didn't exist and White would have fought for the WBC when he should have ages ago, I think he would be WBC champion now, because he would have had that, that belt, and I think we would have had an undisputed champion by now, because he would have gone to unify the division with Anthony Joshua, or if that was around about the time that Ruiz took it off him, Andy Ruiz Jr. So one or the other, he would have fought against one or the other, and he would have been, well, he might have been undisputed champion, we don't know that. But Dillian White, he's massively refined his style, improved, and I believe he's got all the toolkits he needs to be a elite level fighter. He is an elite level fighter in the division now. And, well, looking at the situation that he's got, Wilder was a wuss. Avoided Dillian White at all costs because he knew he was a threat to his title. Tyson Fury was given Dillian White's mandatory shot. Because Oscar Rivas framed Dillian White for drugs, like, well, drug infringement and all of that, drug spiking. He did not take drugs, Dillian, and that was proven far too late. He came in overweight, at a week's notice, like, heavily overweight, because he wasn't training, he weren't allowed to, he didn't know if he'd be able to fight again. And he came in a week's notice at Saudi Arabia on the Joshua undercard against Marius Vak. And he beat Marius Vak via points decision, and Marius Vak is a tough contender. So, that just proves the, the sort of game Dillian White's in, that proves his style, that proves the sort of fighter he is. And, well, that just tells you all you really need to know, to be honest. Like, looking at his career, he's his one and only loss, Anthony Joshua. I feel like that was because Dillian White took too much anger into the ring with him, and he rushed into a couple of big shots of which... Joshua, he wobbled Joshua, that shows. But I truly believe that if Whitehead kind of kept his distance, there would be a bit of a different result. Maybe it might not have been a win to him, but it would have probably been a much closer fight and possibly a points. But, you know, we'll never know that because the fight went how the fight went. You'll never know. So, okay. 
looking at all the facts here, Dillian White, Alexander Povetkin. Alexander Povetkin fought for the WBA. He got the WBA. He was the WBA heavyweight champion for a number of years. He's made some solid defences against people like Marius Vak, Carlos Takam. He's he's done a madness. Um, he lost to Vladimir Klitschko, but I'll be completely honest. Povetkin never had a chance to begin with. Klitschko, that was one of the most boring performances I've seen from Vladimir Klitschko, and that was quite depressing, because Vladimir Klitschko was a... He was a very good fighter. You have to be to be able to rule the division alongside your brother for a number of years. People considered the heavyweight division to be a bit boring at that time, and I can see why, because all the belts were long with those guys, and they were never really beaten, and if they were, it was like a one-time. The brother would come back and win the belts, and so forth. But, you know, to lose to Flamin Klitschko, it was a shame. Because Povetkin was very clever. He was doing the duck and shoulder roll that he does. He does the feints to throw his left hook, because then it would draw the attention to his right hand, and he'd come over with the left hook. Klitschko, every time he saw Povetkin doing that, recognised it and grabbed him in a clinch. The whole fight was the ref splitting the guys up. And it was a shame for Povetkin, because Klitschko's got the much longer reach. He can do that, he can just grab and hold. And it's a shame, because Povetkin has to really get close to Klitschko to do any damage. So, Povetkin never really had a chance, which was a shame. And it was a very boring fight, but no discredit to Povetkin. I think that was Klitschko's fault. So, lost his WBA to Klitschko. He then took on a number of good fights. Like, he literally wiped out David Price... He beat Huey Fury, which is a tough fight as well. Um, so he's more than proven himself in the division. And then he went on and he lost to Anthony Joshua when he challenged for Joshua when he was undefeated for his WBO, WBA, IBF, IBO titles. And obviously he lost. He was knocked out by Joshua round seven. He did give Joshua troubles in round two, I believe. With a nose injury or something like that. Or that might have been Carlos Takam. I can't remember really. But I knew he did give Joshua some trouble. But he's more than proven himself. But he lost to Joshua. Those are the only two losses. So if you look at those. Vladimir Klitschko and Anthony Joshua. Those are not bad names to lose to. Because if you lost to someone like... I don't know. Fight a fighter that's no good. Gerald Miller. Right? That'd be different. And you'd be like, oh god, this guy can't do anything. He lost to Gerald Miller. But... Looking at those two names, that's nothing to be ashamed of. Alexander Povetkin is a very dangerous individual, very dangerous. Even at 40, he can he can take you out. It's not really a joke, and he will come in to do that. So I do feel like Povetkin believes this is his last chance at redemption to become um, a heavyweight champion. Because he can just wipe out Dillian White's hard work if he beats him. Over a thousand days fighting top contenders... He can just take all that and then go fight the winner of Fury Wilder. He can do it. And oh, that would be gutting for me and for Dylan, because I've seen all the work Dylan's put in, and that would be very gutting. But I won't take anything away if Povetkin does manage to win that fight, because he deserves it to be able to beat someone like that. But, you know, speaking of which, Dillian the Body Snatcher wise, I really have. This guy's grown on me. I really like this guy. I never did. I feel like I got introduced to him. In the wrong way. First one I watched was his fight against Anthony Joshua. That was the first one I watched live. And I got the wrong impression of Dillian White when he 
I swung at Joshua after the bell and everything, and it's kind of like, God, this guy's a bit of a loose cannon. He reminds me a bit of Mike Tyson. So I didn't gel well with Dillian White to start with. Um, I watched his next fights. I didn't really watch his Lewis and Ones live. I watched those afterwards. But when he got to, like, Derek Chisora and things like that, I'm kind of like, oh, this is a very good fight. And I watched him, and I gel with him. I watched the press conferences for his next fights. And now he's one of my favourite fighters of all time. So, that shows, really. So, d I really hope Dillian wins this fight. I'm backing him for it. I hope he does come through with the victory. But, looking at it, look at his record, right? He lost to Anthony Joshua, okay. But, his knockout percentage, very good. It's not the highest of all time, but he does very well. He's got a very solid jab. He's got very good body work when he wants to do it. And he's got a lot of power as well. And all of that added up together, along with speed. Dillian's got a bit of speed as well. He's got resilience. He's got a very good chin. I feel like the only defect he might have had in the past that's shown itself a couple of times is stamina. If people hit to the body. So, because he doesn't really know where to put his defence sometimes, Dillian. Whether he's defending his head or if he's defending his body. So, if he can anticipate, I believe he can rattle that out. It's quite easy. He's now got Dave Coldwell in his corner. So, all of that. He's got all, everything going for him, Dillian White, so... And let's look at the shape of the guy now, if you go look it up on Matchroom Boxing. Like, he's really shredded the weight. He's he's made himself... I mean, one of the best shapes I think he's had in his career ever, Dillian White. So, they're evenly matched, these two. I do believe there's a very close fight. But Povetkin, very, very dangerous. Don't take him lightly. But Dillian never takes on, like, nobodies. Right. Okay, maybe he did to start with, but after he lost to Anthony Joshua, he didn't take on nobodies. I mean, Lewis and you, you, have, you can have debates for those, but the ones you can't have debates against, two times Derek Chisora, right? Twice. He then took on Oscar Rivas, right? No one really knew who he was, but once, as soon as you did your little bit of research when the fight was announced, you knew that was a very hard fight. Joseph Parker, <laughs> incredible that was. Um, Marius Vac, you know, these names, literally, like, Dillian would have fought more heavyweights in the last, I don't know, two years or something, more top ten heavyweights than Tyson Fury. I think he already has. So, he's already beaten former world champions and everything. Like, he's putting himself in very good stead. And finally, it took him, unfortunately, it took him suing legal action. To the WBC just to get them to do what they should have done from the start but with that it's to the point where now it's confirmed he's going to be fighting for the world title in his next fight if he wins so all of that Dillian has to win this fight really it'll be gutting if he doesn't but looking at it from the outside I believe Dillian White beats some of these top guys now he's done enough Really, he's proven himself, and he's really rattled the defence down. People are starting to debate whether the split from Mark Tibbs is going to make a difference to Dillian White. But, personally, I believe it's the way his mind's in. His mind seems to be in a very good place, which is good, because I thought it might switch when Mark Tibbs split from, because they were a winning team. And I was shocked to hear that, a little bit upset as well, but it is as it is. And it's not, it's not like he's replacing for nobodies, Xavier Miller, he said, and his trainer who has brought a lot of guys up from amateur to British and Commonwealth title level. So that 
that's very that's good experience as well to do that con- consistently. Dave Caldwell as well. He was in the corner for David Hay. He was in the corner for Tony Bellew when he beat David Hay twice. So, you know, all of that is experience. And Dillian's got those guys in his corner. So he's he's. it's not like he's got nothing. He's got some a very decent start in this fight. But I believe Dillian will have to work to the body and slow Povetkin down. I believe Povetkin has the advantage in the opening rounds, opening four rounds. Because his experience, his work rate, he'll fill out Dillian White and he'll try and establish a rhythm. Once Dillian has a feel for Povetkin's rhythm, I feel like he can adapt his own surrounding Povetkin. So he can use what Povetkin's throwing at him to his advantage. And that's the thing with Dillian White. He can do that and that's a very good trait to have as a heavyweight boxer. To be able to adapt to most situations. So, if he wins, he goes on to fight either Fury or Wilder. Let's face it, it's going to be Fury, isn't it? But I'm not 100% sure he's going to get to fight for the title. I think he's going to be awarded it, much like when Riddick Bowe beat Evander Holyfield and he relinquished the WBC because his mandatory was Lennox Lewis, of which beat Riddick Bowe in the Olympics to get the gold medal. And they never met in the professional ranks, which was a bit of a shame, but it was all thanks to either Don King or Riddick Bowe, one of the two. But Riddick both, regardless of whoever it truly was, you will never know, threw his WBC belt in the bin, relinquished it, and Lennox Lewis was awarded it. And, well, no one really took it off Lennox, did they? They were one-time guys. They were fluke wins, but he got them straight back. So no one, as soon as he had it, no one really took the belt off of Lennox, to be honest. But it's the same sort of situation. Fury has beaten Wilder. Wilder... A ferocious right hand, no boxing skills whatsoever. That's the fight as well. Um, Obviously, I think the only three names that Tyson Fury has on his record, Derek Chisora, someone who walks straight towards you, tries to put a load of pressure on you. Back in the days when he fought Tyson Fury, he was not a quarter of the fighter he is now. Derek Chisora is 10 times better, which means Dillian White's wins over him are much more significant. You look back when he was fighting Tyson Fury, Vitaly Klitschko, that sort of time, Derek, he wasn't a good fighter, let's face it. He was pressuring really forward, continuously putting on the pressure, and he just didn't do anything. He didn't really throw anything substantial. He just walked towards and absorbed shots, which was the reason he lost those fights against Tyson. And, well... Well, that's nothing. You you can't really take anything from a guy that walks towards you and takes your punishment and doesn't throw anything back. Same happens with Vladimir Klitschko. Tyson disrupted Klitschko's rhythm, so he couldn't throw anything. But at, at the same time, it's it's just how Klitschko threw nothing back. And that means t- because he didn't throw anything, no punishment, that meant Tyson could just easily win decision. He didn't knock Klitschko out, did he? So... He can't take anything against Vladimir Klitschko as well. They were pra- Klitschko was practically giving the belt to Tyson. And at the same time, we got um, Deontay Wilder. First fight. All right, that was a bit of a grueling fight. So uh, at the same time, though, Tyson was beating Wilder to the punch because he didn't really have any boxing IQ. He was quite... I have said this to everyone I've spoke to him about Wilder. He's got one serious weapon in the armoury. It's like a case of, if you think about it in um, Call of Duty, you have a rocket-propelled grenade uh, in the barrel. You only have one, right? 
you have one chance to take down a helicopter. If you miss, you're screwed, aren't you? It's the same instance here. Wilder has only got that one weapon, the right hand, and if you can avoid it, you've won the fight. He was very, very lucky to land it on Tyson right at the end of the first fight, but Tyson took that, took it on board, knew exactly what he was doing in the second, and completely bullied him. So, he, I don't think he can take anything from three names on his record, Tyson Fury, and I do believe at times, whether it's him or his promoter, I don't know, has been cherry-picking opponents for Tyson Fury, and he's avoided styles like Dillian White, and he's made it clear, like, all of this talk about, oh, Fury's gonna, oh, Fury has to fight White and everything, you hear from Warren about the situation, you're hearing from Joshua about the situation, you're hearing from Dillian White about the situation, you don't hear anything from Tyson Fury, the guy he's got to fight, do you? And I do truly believe he's keeping his mouth shut, so he can run it right up to the bell, to be able to, unfortunately, I think he will vacate the title. So then he'll say, oh, it's circumstances have come up. Oh, this is why I've been quiet all this time. You know, things like that. And, well, just that, that whole thing just basically tells you what you need to know. So, okay, so Dillian White, I believe, could have Tyson Fury if he doesn't relinquish the title just because of the style mixes and the fact that he... He's never really fought someone with Dillian White's style. Or Anthony Joshua, for that matter. Like, those are the two hardest fights of Tyson's career if he gets them. So, okay. I'm saying that word far too often, so you'll probably hear that. But that's a habit, so you guys are stuck with it, unfortunately. Um, this is a problem when you don't have a co-host. Okay, so, looking at it. Dillian White against Alexander Povetkin. Povetkin has the first half of the fight to throw something significant to stun White and keep him at bay and keep him tentative to win a points decision. That's the way Povetkin can win. If he doesn't manage to do that, I think a safe bet for me, personally, is Dillian White knockout if he does bodywork and wears Povetkin down. He does that, he could possibly grab the victory or the dub, however you want to call it. Um, from round 10 onwards, knock him out late, or um, um, that he could just get a points, I think. So it's one or the other. It's going to be a very hard fight, and I think this is going to be the toughest fight of Dillian's career. I mean, he doesn't really need to prove what he's made of. He's shown you what he's made of. Um, but he needs to perform as well, Dillian White. So to be able to pull through the W, he has to apply pressure. He's got to push the pedal. Because if you take your foot off the pedal with Alexander Povetkin, that is, that's like a game of chicken with a crocodile and all you've got is a stick. Like, you're not going to be able to get out of that alive, are you? So, looking at it, the whole situation, my predictions for fight night, from the ones I can remember, sorry, Cullen, um, I'll watch your fight and I'll give my thoughts on it with the next podcast before the topics that we're talking about. But, okay, so... Alan Babich versus Shondell Winters. Okay. My final prediction for that fight. I think it will be Alan Babich on points. That's how it's going to go with Shondell Winters putting the pressure on. Okay, next fight. Clay versus Congo. Very hard fight. I'm going with either a draw, majority draw, or points narrow to Congo. 
Katie Taylor versus Delphine Persoon 2. Final predictions for that. Katie Taylor being the undisputed women's lightweight champion. I think majority draw. Or points Katie Taylor. And finally, the title card and the one that I am absolutely dying to see. And I'm crossing my fingers I do get to see tomorrow. Depending on how things work out for me here. Is Dillian White versus Alexander Povetkin. Very tough fight, but given how these fights go, Dillian stoppage late, rounds 10 to 12, or Dillian White points victory. Alright everybody, so that has been episode 3, I believe, of The Boxing Sector. Um, I thought it was going to be short, but it's actually quite long for you guys, but... It would have been longer if I'd have had Matt there, so this is how it goes. But I really hope you can take something from this. Um, I will try my hardest to appear with my co-host um, next time round. And, well, for everyone watching the fight, please let us know what you thought um, at our Instagram page, at fight for Film 1000 on Instagram. Um... And make sure you follow us on Spotify, you listen to all of our podcasts and upcoming content all through our social medias. Um, let us know what you thought of the fight. And, well, that's nothing else to say, really. This has been Luke Day on behalf of my co-host Matthew Alcock on Fight for Film TV, the boxing sector, for our predictions for Dillian White, Alexander Povetkin on August 22nd. Really hope you've enjoyed, and we shall be seeing you next time. Thank you, guys.